Welcome everyone to Dinging Corners, a baseball podcast powered by Slab Stocks. I am Nate, and we are here with Jimbo. Let's go! And we are here on a nice, bright, sunny Saturday morning for both of us, yep. whether you're on the Eastern Time Zone or the Western Time Zone, both Saturday morning Pacific. Um, And uh, we are here to talk one subject, one subject only. It's going to be a bit of a quicker uh, podcast today due to uh, both of us having to do shipping. Um, and uh, this is one thing I want to talk about. And it's young guys struggling because there are a lot of young guys struggling. And I took some notes on guys, their MLB pipeline rankings and their current OPSs. All right. Now, some of these guys have won rookie of the years in the past, just last year. Some hit well last year, didn't win rookie of the year and are not hitting as well this year. Some of them hit poorly last year and are hitting poorly this year. Um, But I have a list of, 14 guys here, okay? All right, so number one, Gunnar Henderson. 706 OPS in the majors, which is below average. Number one, MLB pipeline ranking. Bobby Witt Jr., 695 OPS. Number one, MLB pipeline ranking. Julio Rodriguez, obviously, was really good last year. One rookie of the year. 667 OPS, number three, MLB pipeline ranking. And these are the highest they get pre-season. Um, I'm sure some of these were maybe higher in season once other guys graduated off, but uh, they don't give that list on baseball reference where I grab it from their minor league page. They just give pre pre MLB or preseason rankings. Spencer Torkelson, 641 OPS, number four on the MLB pipeline ranking. Michael Harris, II, 547 OPS. He has been injured. He's only played 21 games. Uh, number 65 on the MLB pipeline ranking. CJ Abrams, 670 OPS. Highest he's ever been, number eight on the MLB pipeline ranking, and he wasn't good last year either. Joey Weimer, 627 OPS. I believe, now this is the only one I changed up, I believe he was 73 in the most recent update before he graduated off the list. Um, Also, it should be noted that a lot of these guys are still valuable in the major leagues because of their defense, but we're talking... Strictly about hitting, because a lot of these guys have positive wins above replacement because they're so good defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, Tristan Casas, 688 OPS, number 16 MLB. He was okay last year, but not good this year. Bryson Stott, 690 OPS, 45th ranked prospect MLB. Ezekiel Tovar, 605 OPS, number 25th by MLB Pipeline. Anthony Volpe, 701 OPS, number 5 by MLB Pipeline. Matt Mervis, 563 OPS, even though he's only played 11 games. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> he's only played 11 games, 88 on baseball prospectus. He was not ranked by MLB Pipeline. So Matt Mervis obviously gets some time. Anthony Volpe gets or Volpe gets some time, but still they're struggling. Zach Nito, also struggling, 672 OPS, but his defense has been amazing. So like another one of those guys who positive, even though not hitting number 43 by only pipeline. And then I bring up Joe Adele because he's killing it in triple a yeah. um, six sixteen OPS in his career. Highest was number six. And pipeline. There is a lot of guys there Two number one prospects, a three, number three prospect, a number four, a number five, a number eight, a number 16, a number 25, 43, six, 
88, uh, 73, 65. There are guys all over MLB pipeline lists or other lists in the case of Matt Mervis. And they are all struggling. Now, this isn't to say, Jimbo, and I'm, I'm gearing this up to ask you one question. And I, it's really a one-question podcast here that I want answered. I'm yeah. gearing this all up to say that obviously guys struggle. Yeah. On the, on the struggled and an hour good, Byron Buxton had an OPS plus through his first four seasons of 93. His highest OPS was 728. Now, obviously, 728 is much better than a 640 or anything like that, but it was still below average for that time period. Right, 728 nowadays, you're probably above 100. 728 mm-hmm. back then got him a 93 OPS plus. Um, you, uh, we obviously know what Byron Buxton is nowadays. Mm-hmm. Brandon Marsh, first season 673 OPS, second season 679, this season 892. Now he has a 667 OPS in the last 28 days, which has not been great, but full season OPS 892. Riley Green, 682 OPS last year, 781 OPS this year. Taylor Walls, 610 OPS his first year, 553 OPS his second year, 904 OPS this year. Josh Lowe, 627 OPS last year, 989 OPS this year. Nick Senzel, 604 OPS three years ago, 638 OPS two years ago, 601 OPS last year, 760 OPS this year. Now, 760 OPS for him is like exactly league average, 100 W or OPS plus or 101 OPS plus. Um, but it is it is just to show that obviously all these guys are struggling above. But there is obviously, you know, there's a lot of guys who are former top 100 prospects who have turned it around in major ways this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like, oh, no, the world is falling. We got to, you know, sell Spencer Torkelson, Michael Harris yada 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 because they stink down nothing that's ever going to come back of it but the question i'm trying to get to is when you see all these young guys struggling same time and even some young guys that have won rookie of the years obviously sophomore slump does that change your outlook on prospects no matter where they're at um especially high prospects we all just you know juan soto i i tend to believe Juan Soto was the worst thing that happened to prospecting because he came up, lit the world on fire, and now everyone mm-hmm. expects that yeah. when that's not the case. I mean, you can see this list. Uh, we've got two number ones, a number three, a number four, a number five, a number six, a number eight on here. Like, we're talking top ten prospects. Seven yeah. top ten prospects that have that have struggled mightily uh, this year. Um, does that change your outlook on buying and selling prospects specifically like buying and selling prospects in the major leagues, um, or waiting for their call up or anything or for, well, for me, like the, the biggest thing is when I hear what, what, you know, the things that you were just saying before that is it just kind of proves why I I like to sell at debut because Mm -hmm. it is so hard to hit major league pitching and they're so fast to adjust. And there's so many factors like protection in the lineup and stuff like that, too, that plays such a huge factor. TV mm-hmm. time, promos, all that stuff, where I like to sell a debut when they're, everyone's talking about them because most likely I would, I would bet that they're going to not perform very well the first year or two years because of that adjustment period, especially these guys that are rushed, like Vladimir Guerrero. 
CJ Abrams as well. CJ Abrams, where it's like everyone always like, well, they're crushing down the minor leagues. What else is there to prove? There's a lot of things that stats don't show with improvement of their game, like working the count, like doing doing the small things, pushing the runner over. Like, you know, there's just a lot of small things that that down in the minors, it really helps to get that. And some of these players get rushed to the majors because of the media, like Vladdy uh, Guerrero Jr. Um, he was crushing down, down in the minors, like hitting the best stats of all time. Same with Blue Bob. But at the same time, like I would have, like another year in the minors, they would have had a more explosive start. That's why, like, I don't punish people for getting to the majors early. I'd rather them, if I'm thinking about cards, I'd rather them get there super early. I sell when they get there early. They're going to struggle like a Kalenic is a great mm-hmm. example this year. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of Kalenic. Uh, yeah. And then you could buy them on the discount on the year. As long as you still like them as a prospect, and that's really more of doing the eye test of seeing, like, what are they struggling in the majors? Are they chasing or are they getting overpowered by the fastball? Or can they not lay off the breaking ball? Like, what is it? And then watching that to see where they improve from. Yeah. But – um. And I, I like that. I know you sell on call up, so like this doesn't really affect you. Uh, I guess um, the biggest thing I take away from this is that it, whether it's baseball or whether it's like you know a couple weeks ago, somebody it, it was you was it you asked about if I would trade um, Jackson Churio for half a season of Shohei Otani. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And you know, in my heart of hearts, I don't want to do that because. You know, Jackson Churio, top prospect the Brewers have ever had. He gets called up. It's going to be amazing. I get the I get the whole Otani gets traded and everyone is like going to go gung ho about getting Otani merchandise, even in Wisconsin, if that were to happen, Um, Mm -hmm. even though there's not a large Japanese population. Not that there needs to be a large Japanese population, but I assume that helps on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh you know, it's 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 one of those things where now I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right, in my heart of hearts, I still would like to have a Jackson Churio just to let it ride and see what happens. But also, looking at these numbers, there are going to be some of these guys that never figure it out. Yep. Just statistically, I mean, obviously, Julio Rodriguez and Michael Harris have already had good years, mm-hmm. right? So, like, they've already figured it out, and now they're slumping, and I expect them to get back to it. But there could be a guy like Bobby Witt Jr. who just never figures it out. Yeah. Despite being the number one prospect. Uh, Bryson Dot may never figure it out. Tristan Casas may never figure it out. Joey Weimer may just be a really good defensive outfielder that hits an occasional home run and always has a, like a under 700 OPS. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and, and it doesn't matter where these guys were ranked on the top 100 prospect list. They're all struggling, whether it's low or high. So, in the case of baseball terms, it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't be hugging Jackson Churio, even though I want to. I should think about it logically and say, ah, uh, if the Brewers are in it and you can get the best hitter, one of the best pitchers in the world and also a very good hitter to add to your lineup, it's probably worth it. But from a card collecting standpoint, I know a lot of people that are like, I got my prospect. I'm going to wait until he turns into Ronald Acuna in the majors and then I'm going to sell. And that's that's okay too if they believe in them. And it is it is okay, but looking at some of this, it's like, 
you know, if he struggles the first couple of years and doesn't turn into Ronald Acuna, you could have sold, bought back in, had more. Now, obviously, you don't know if your guy's going to s- struggle, but I mean, we're looking at Gunnar Henderson, Bobby Witt Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Torkelson, uh, Anthony Volpe or Volpe. Like these, these aren't just prospects. These are cream of the crop, top prospects. Everyone in the majors would love to have them on their team. Uh, some of the best prospects we've seen in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I would say like eight out of 10, don't shoot out of the gate and sustain. Yeah. And that's just the name of it though. Like that's where the risk, risk-based reward comes into play. And that's why I, I don't know. I'm a very risk adverted type of person uh, because I believe in building the long term, like little mm-hmm. bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. That's why I try and do uh, less risky stuff by selling early. Um, because my thoughts are you can always buy again. And in, let's say you buy again in the future. Yeah, you might pay a premium on, you know, you could have got it a lot cheaper, but you also have more data that backs it up yeah. with that premium. So, hey, speaking of buying again, just two real life examples from me. Uh, a couple of years ago, Wander Franco mm-hmm. struggled. Yep. Bought in at the National in 2019 because 2020 didn't exist, right? Uh-huh. Was it 2019? No. 2021. 2021. That was 2019. would have been like right after he came out. Um, 2021, Wander Franco struggling at the National. I was like, this is my number one goal to pick up cards of. I didn't. I ended up picking up Julio instead, actually, ironically. Um, <laughs> and because uh, he was struggling, his prices were cheaper, and then he blew up. And then he struggled last year, and I was like, you know, you look at these monthly OPSs and you're like, well, he was injured in the middle. Let's pick up more of him, you know, and then play this game again. And sure enough, he comes out hot. We sell. We made money again. Uh, same cycle of a dude you believe in. Julio Rodriguez as well. Last year, struggling to start the year. Prices drop. Uh, Slab stocks as a company buys in. Um, if we had sold when it was hot, we would have made really good money. We made okay money on the, we bought a blue non-auto PSA 10. We made a little bit of money on it, but um, we still made money, right? And it was the same song and dance. Player is struggling, buy in if you believe in him. So obviously, if you believe in some of these guys, and I'm not covering prices today, um, you can see their MLB ranking, you can see their OPS, and you can probably safely assume that some of these prices have dropped considering uh, what is going on with them. Um, no matter who, if it's Gunnar Henderson, Bobby Witt Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Torkelson, Michael Harris, C.J. Abrams, Joey Weimer, um, Tristan Casas, Bryson Stott, Ezekiel Tovar, Anthony Volpe, Matt Mervis, Zach Nito, or Joe Adele. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can probably safely assume that these prices have dropped, and you know you can go in and figure out why they're struggling. Um, but that, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So, you know... Sometimes guys are struggling because they're just striking. You know, Joe Adele strikes out a ton. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a concern. Some other guys just struggle because they have an extremely low BABIP that will flip around. They're hitting the ball hard, right? Uh, their BABIP is low, and it's and they're not. There's no like super concerning signs in their strikeout or walk rates or anything. And it's like, well, okay, I think this guy's going to turn around. I believe in the talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- 
That's that's one thing that if there's any advice I give people, it's let's say someone is struggling at the plate or or whatever, they're struggling somehow. It's figuring out, okay, what is going on? Wander, wrist injury last year. Ronald Acuna came back and but with a leg injury. So he wasn't playing to the like electricity because he came back very fast. Was this playing year, to 11 home runs and 18 stolen bases in like 40 games. Well, then I said like that was last year. And then this year, fully healthy, had an off season to fully gain back. And now he looks like he's back to the MVP type year that before he got injured. Yeah. He's incredible. So it's like figuring that stuff out. Like a Brady House had, I think it was a back injury last year, struggled this year healthy, doing well. Like there's certain things. If you figure out the why on why someone's struggling and be like, oh, if they figure this part out, you know, maybe they start to do better again and then their cards start doing well. A great example is Cody Bellinger. His physically fine, right? You know, like mm-hmm. physically, everything was fine. It was more mental. And then I remember watching a few games at the Dodger, like when he was with the Dodgers last year, and he just looked lost at the plate. And I'm like, man, this guy just needs a new scenery or something. Like physically he's there, goes to the Cubs, totally knew everything. Now that's not someone that I believed in in, in the offseason. <laughs> it should uh, be mentioned that that magnificent OPS is now down to 830. Okay. That's so still- we are. I mean, it's still way better than what it has been. Yeah. But finding that the why of why things are going up and down and figuring out and then watching that that part of their game and being able to to monetize on it if it goes up or down by selling or buying. Yeah. Uh, real quick on Cody Bellinger, 714 OPS in the last 28 days, 486 OPS in the last 14 days. So we will see if Cody Bellinger keeps this slide or gets hot again. But um it is, it is, it is, it's just a very, it's very interesting. It's very interesting to look at and say, wow, all these dudes, all these dudes are struggling. And like some of them, like Matt Mervis, you don't, we're not going to count 11 games against him. Mm-hmm. 11 major league games, right? Zach Nito just got called up from double A. I'm not going to consider that 672 OPS against him. In fact, I'm thrilled with the 672 OPS with the insanely good defense he's playing mm-hmm. type of Cause... thing, like for that double A jump. But there's some other guys, you know, where it's like C.J. Abrams, how many chances is he going to get before we're just like, yeah. Bobby Wood Jr., how long do we sit there before we're like, eh. And, of course, obviously, again, we bring go back to Byron Buxton. 728 OPS was the highest he had in four seasons. Mm -hmm. 93 OPS plus was the highest he had in four seasons. That's nuts. And now he is Byron Buxton, one of the most electric players in baseball when healthy when healthy yeah yeah another thing too is that i was just thinking about is okay let's say you have someone that that's starting like in your starting rotation or in your bullpen uh in the major league level and they get blown up like they're just you know getting rocked every single game so they get sent down to triple a down at triple a they are the major leaguer yeah they're the cream of the crop. And when they're in the majors, they are like, please get, the, I don't even want this person on my team. So like the caliber of that, like putting that in perspective, which you could say that in every league, minor league and all that, but it's really not like that as drastic as major league in triple a. Well, you know, the thing about the majors is the guys up there are the best, of the best, and they've stayed there for a long time and they're mm-hmm. honing their craft in triple a. 
guys get there and then retire when they don't make the majors after a while. Get there and retire. Like you're getting the you're getting the best of the best who are staying the best of the best, and then you're getting guys who are just slowly trickling out of baseball. So it's really like discrepancy of talent. You know, you're you're retaining your best mm-hmm. talent, and new guys are always coming into this level that aren't necessarily triple a players so i'd say that the talent is even a little bit lower mm-hmm. that makes sense i a thousand thousand percent agree and one thing that that i really realized the last couple of years that is the protection in the lineup is such a key factor too like you have there's so many things that have to go right for for a player where it's like okay let's say they have incredible talent but if they're going up to a team like, let's say, the Tigers, where there's no protection and all that, and they put them in the three-hole, four-hole leadoff, is way different than putting them in, let's say, the Phillies lineup and putting them in the seven-hole where they don't have to do a lot. They just have to kind of – And in Marsh. Like, yeah, like if they hit a home run, it's it's sprinkles rather than it's the cake. Like, if you're hitting the three-hole, you got it. You have to produce. <laughs> Question. Now, I understand that. Don't get me wrong. I understand that completely. Dude, it's weird. And I agree. No. But what's funny is Riley Green. What about, yeah. Because he's raised his OPS from 682 to 781 despite having literally zero protection in that lineup. Well, that's because I truly believe he is a pure great hitter. Mm-hmm. And he can be one of the three and four, like the three, like a, a cleanup hitter, all that down the line, like a – legitimate one like i think he could be one in the phillies lineup in the future when he gets older with how good that phillies lineup is right now if that makes sense but but a guy like it, it's not easy well okay this is and, you see his first year and how much he struggled and how well he did his second year the second year shows more of like of a hitter how he actually is mm-hmm. but that that leeway of like learning through he could have learned it in the seven hole and still hit 290, whatever. That's what, true. But instead he was thrown in the fire. And the, there's no saying that his 781 OPS isn't low if he wasn't in a better team right now. Yeah. So, but it is just it is just funny how uh while I do agree with you, to an extent, I mean there's still guys, Manny Machado's struggling hard, and this is the best yeah. lineup he's ever been in his entire life. True. Right? So like sometimes you just struggle. That is true. Um, but, uh, for, especially for young guys, I do think that, you know, man, you have, you have, uh, you're hitting number two and you got Bryce Harper behind you. Well, or, okay. Say number three, two guys out in the inning, you're, you're up and Bryce Harper's hitting number four behind you. Yeah. You don't want to put a guy on to have to face Bryce Harper in that inning. You'd rather face Bryce Harper with the bases empty. So you're going to do your best to uh, challenge Riley Green and get him out type of thing. Yeah. They're not going to try and pitch around you and no. try and paint the corners. Like if they're down 2-0 in the count, you're going to get something pretty solid to hit. But if you have a struggling uh, Spencer Torkelson or, you know, a Jonathan Scope, whoever behind you, they're like, oh, it is what it is. I would actually probably rather go after Scope. So we'll dance around you in the three hole. It's just, it's all the the mind games. And then 
when you get someone on, I'm a huge fan. Like I believe so much in if someone gets on base, the, the, it distracts the pitcher, every, everyone in the field so much more where it's not just the hitter. It's way more bigger uh, factor. Actually a great example. I was watching the Pittsburgh pirates uh, diamondbacks game last night. And I was like, Zach Gallon is pitching against the struggling, struggling, struggling pirates. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, this guy is going to deal tonight. Like, this is probably the best matchup I've ever seen in my life. Andrew McCutcheon, leadoff hitter, gets on base and just, I don't know, like just kind of make Zach Gallon all, I don't know. And I, I don't know. It, I could be completely wrong. I uh, gave up eight runs. Exactly, dude. It's because there was someone on base <laughs> who kind of flustered him. And I'm telling you that I just feel like there. I, I'm a big believer on when there's runners on base, it definitely brings a factor. Oh, yeah. to the also, it shortens the pitch clock, right? Or is uh, it lengthen the pitch clock? 20 seconds runner on base, 15 seconds off. I can't remember now. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a whole other thing you have to think about as a pitcher. Right. And especially with how short time is between pitches, you can't exactly think about your next pitch and think about the runner on base. Um, it gets in your head. You're, you're going from the stretch instead of the wind up, whole big thing. I mean, I know for me, I was not a good pitcher in high school. Right. But I was significantly more successful going from the wind up than the stretch. Mm-hmm. Another, if you got someone on base that has speed too, the, you know, the amount of off speed is probably less. Yep. Uh, like if you have a trade turner on, you're going to, if you're at bat and you got trade turner on first, you're going to be getting fastballs. Or Ronald Acuna. Or Ronald Acuna. With 18 stolen bases. That's true. I picked so him up. Thing. Oh, uh, hey, real quick. One last thing. One last thing. And then we should go because we do have yep. stuff to do, you Sorry. and I. Um, I saw uh, Aaron had sent me a stat the other day. And I brought this up on my daily slab. Um Aaron sent me a stat the other day, and it was uh, Esturi Ruiz on pace to become the first hitter to or player to steal 60 bases in a season since 2017, which is funny because Ronald Lacuna is also on pace for that. Um, but uh, Aaron's like, oh, man, at least we got William Contreras for him, right? William Contreras is doing well. And he was, like, disappointed because our, our outfield has been decimated by injuries and everything. And I was like, yeah, too bad. Esther Ruiz is on pace for under one win above replacement. And obviously lineup protection and everything, even though Brent Rooker is doing amazing. Um, <clears throat> not a great lineup, not a great team. It might do better with a better team around him. That being said, it is funny to me, and I wanted to bring this up. Uh, it's funny to me how deceiving stats can be. And it's not like MLB is the who posted it was trying to be deceiving. They're just stating a fact, mm-hmm. right? On pace for 60 stolen bases. Yeah, that's not wrong. But the rest of his game is atrocious. But if you only see one stat, you know, we're all busy. We all have other things to do. So you're swiping through Twitter. You see one stat and all of a sudden you're like, that can color your entire perception of a player without being able to do extra research. And then some people, you know, buy said cards without doing extra research. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're like, Esther Ruiz must be amazing. 60 plus stolen bases. Oh, actually, he stinks at pretty much everything else but stolen bases. Um, this is not a valuable guy. I just wasted money. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, really, I don't have a question for you as much as I'm just warning everyone that those random things you see can be very deceiving because Aaron was ready to be like, wow, I wish we had Esther Ruiz. And I had to tell him, hey, actually, 
even with 60 stolen bases, he's on pace to be under one win above replacement. Play. Yeah, give me Will and Contreras all day. Also, will Ruiz even get on base 60 times? And that's probably why they're bringing it up because his percentage is really high. That's fair. You know, like where it's like, oh, yeah, Ronald Acuna has, has more stolen, you know, the more stolen bases, but he's on base more, so he's not stealing as much percentage-wise. Ruiz, if he's on first, he has to steal or his value, like he's not valuable. That's the only time he's valuable. Yep. Um, I agree. Also with that, sorry, one last thing is and there are gimmicky things that sell within the hobby. And if you, if you see a player like that and you don't fully believe, but if you see him cheap in a value box, you can pick that up waiting for a, um, a gimmicky thing where knowing that the social media will, will be pumped out there and people will, like we'll go after these certain players, like a like yeah. a two way p- player in the minors or whatever it is. Bubba Starlin. Yeah, but now he's not even. Oh hitting. wait, Bubba Chandler. Yeah, he's not even hitting anymore. So now, and you see the risk with that. Yep. So there are risks to that, but if you if you do know the gimmicky, like the things that that people will be posting about, you can find them in value boxes before they become a thing. Just a thought. I like it. I like it. And obviously, yeah, I got to figure out what gimmicky things sell. You know, 60 stolen bases on the A's, especially if Ronald Acuna does it first. Is it going to sell? No, nah. probably not. Um, but there's other there's other things that would sell out there. Uh, you know, if some random dude has like 50 doubles in a season, I don't know, that might sell. But that would be a really good season, though. So that's true. That, that would just be a good season. Um. All right, uh, Jimbo. I have nothing else. It's just, uh, it's just, uh, you know, for me, what I take from this is to not hug my prospects, mm-hmm. and also to be comfortable selling. If I own Jackson Churio, you know, I would be comfortable selling at call up or before instead of trying to hold and hope he's the next Ronald Acuna out of the gates. Because as we can see with Gunnar Henderson and Bobby Wood, and for every one of these guys, there's an Adley Rushman, right? Yeah. You know, so like you have you have exceptions to every rule, but by and large, the the realistic outcome is that your prospect is going to struggle, and uh, it's probably on the safer side to take the money right away. And if he becomes a superstar, well, you probably made money. And if he doesn't become a superstar instantaneously, you can buy back in and probably buy more cards for cheaper. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Well, we're going to end there. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening to Dinging Corners this week. And Jimbo and I will talk to you next Friday. Deuces!